And here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was pretty good. That was pretty bad. That was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Mm. What? I don't know. I'm a voice instrumentalist, man. Uh, Sweat Equity Podcast what? and Streaming Show, the number one comedy business podcast in the world. Pragmatic entrepreneurial advice with real blue humor. <laughs> is that what? Is that better than real raw dog talk? No. Listen to just us. Don't describe it at all. <laughs> just, just leave it. Listen to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. What else are we on? iHeartRadio. All of them. Name all those. All those. Deezer. Deezer. Yeah. Yeah. That's one. Mm-hmm. Stitcher. All those audio apps that who knows who listens to them, but they're out, it's out there, man. All the audio's out there. We're on YouTube for video if you like that. If you're one of the Gen Zs that likes to listen to podcasts on YouTube, watch them. You mean? Yeah, that's that's what the young young kids, the youngins do. Yeah. This episode, we're gonna roll through these sponsors real quick. Uh, all the links. To get the hookup on all these will be in the description of this episode. Squarespace, your all-in-one e-commerce website builder, drag and drop, super easy, dog. Get it, get it with our link in the episode description. Hooks you up, hooks us up. Hey, you want to call, track all the calls on your website? Get some call rail with some call swap numbers that'll record all the calls from people click to call on your site. It'll auto tag the conversations. Our One of our favorites in-house is Bigly Sales, friend of the program, a CRM with marketing outreach of email, SMS, phone, pay-as-you-go marketing. And then the lastly is LinkedIn Premium, two months free. Two months free. It's like 60 bucks. That shit is expensive yeah. now, but it, the targeting is so good. Yeah. Just like we're targeting this episode with a lot of humor and wisdom. Hotty toddy. It's called sweat equity. Listening to the Sweat Equity Podcast. Well, you know, that should show how effective your last time on here was because I think Eric and I have kind of talked about your interview, I don't know, at least a dozen times. Oh, that's nice. I was very honored when you invited me back. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're getting, we're into it. We're, we're going? Yeah, we just started. Yeah. And so I think... I think we didn't realize, you know, how impactful storytelling is until you kind of got it in our ear. <laughs> uh, before we get into it, we got to ask an intimate question like we we usually do with our new guests. But since you're returning, yeah. I'll, I'll let you revise your answer if you want. It, any changes right. to what advice you would give yourself at 13 years old? At 13 years old? Gosh, I remember 13, actually, because I felt like I was really officially arrived at being a teenager. And I think the biggest advice I would give myself was, you don't know nearly as much as you think you do, so calm down. 
we may not have asked you that the first time. Yeah, right? actually, John, <laughs> the way you answered it, yeah, John was like, "Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Never yeah. heard that before." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, we didn't ask you the first time. I think we got right into it um, mm. when you got on uh, half a year ago. But you don't know as much as you think you do, which you know you could kind of say that at any age, really. I feel like yeah, it's but like, the calm down part is really the advice. I think of. You know, I was very anxious about what's going to happen to my life. Am I going to make it? Uh, I had a lot of, I was just not happy in the moment. I was always worried about the future for several years uh, in that time frame. Did you ever? So my advice to, yeah. Go ahead. No, my advice would be to just relax a little bit and enjoy where I am as opposed to always. I had a very much of a mindset. As soon as this happens, then I'll be happy. Uh, whether it was a car or a job or getting into the right university or all these other things I thought I needed that I was not happy where I was uh, at that stage. I believe believe that's the hedonistic treadmill, right? You you get to the, or Stairmaster, I can't remember the phrase, but you get to that. that This is why like a lot of celebrities, pop stars, uh, like they get up to that level and you're like, why are you miserable? You're rich. Right. You're famous. Athletes want to be rappers. Right. Rappers yeah, yeah. want to be athletes. Every, every, yeah. Everybody doesn't seem comfortable in the position they're crushing in and, you know, mm-hmm. talking entertainment or sports or whatever. But, yeah. uh, what, what do you think? Did you ever kind of do that, uh, deep dive, that kind of mushroom in the forest, uh, introspection to kind of figure out, why you may have been anxious or do you, was it very, um, he, he means eating mushrooms, magic. Mushrooms I know what he, yeah, the, I okay. I wasn't was sure you weren't the mushroom. Yeah, um, yourself, like you weren't. Uh, a mushroom yeah, yeah. You'll go in the forest with some portobello. Right. And, uh, yes. you know, really treat yourself. <laughs> I think, um, part of my awareness at this stage of my life was, uh, at 13, I thought I was gay. I wasn't hundred percent sure I even knew what that meant. And I had a lot of trepidation around that and fear of not being enough. So I overcompensated. So I'll be the best son. I'll be the best student. I'll be the best employee just to try to get to a baseline of, am I okay enough to compensate for this thing that a lot of people have problems with? So I think that's where it stemmed from. That's a whole different ball game. Yeah. That, that side of it is just, man, I can't imagine dealing with that as a 13 year old. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's interesting. I've had I, I've had a uh, we don't know if you're gay or not. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> We're guessing gay, by yes. that answer, but it was yes. like <laughs> turned well, out not gay. We don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, I look. I've talked to a time in my life. I've yes, talked to a lot of stand-up comedians that thought they were for like a couple of years of their life and never told anybody, um, and then they're not, uh, or yeah. maybe they are. They don't want to talk about it mm. as an adult, but you know, like I would say, we don't really ask. Uh, what you're into on the show, the guests, but I, that's interesting because I, I definitely have friends in my life that are gay that uh, did the overcompensation because they felt like it was a, Mm -hmm. um, it was negative on the, uh, on the balance sheet for them growing up. And so to deflect it in a, in a weird way, like you overcompensate in everything else. Is that, so that's, that's kind of how you did it. There's a, there's a book out called The Best Little Boy in the World, which goes into that whole premise of you have to be the best in order to be loved or accepted to just be good enough. 
and it's freaking exhausting. Hmm. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And it, it sounds like you you've you've honed that anxiety and made it a positive. Is that fair to say? Oh gosh, I still have my moments. It's not around that, but I am constantly having to work on staying in the present moment. I tend to be someone who's fairly impatient. I remember when my first book was coming out, I was like, what do you mean it takes a year for the book to come out? Why can't it come out sooner? Or I'm waiting for a job offer or a sale or something. What, why is it taking so long? And that, uh, that creates a lot of anxiety instead of just accepting of this is what it is. They're just, and not, life doesn't work on my timeline. And in the meantime, I'm not enjoying being in the moment because I'm so anxious about when something is going to happen that I think needs to happen in order for me to be happy in the future because I'm not happy in the present. So it's, it's a different kind of anxiety. Um, but, if you, but that's where it started was the whole I'm not good enough thing, which is now just getting to the point, hopefully, where I am a little more patient with myself and with whatever else is going on in the world. Uh, like even the pandemic, I was like, are you kidding me? 18 months. There's no way I can tolerate that for 18 months. Uh, so that, that all that is just an ongoing journey and a lesson of, yeah, that's what's going to take, or it's going to be like this for the next 18 months, whether you like it or not. And maybe not, maybe for longer, the unknown part of that really drove me crazy of the, all the things that I look back on. It was how long is this going to be like this was the most anxiety provoking thing for me. Well, yeah, I was listening to your TEDx talk, uh, be the lifeguard of your own mm -hmm. life. And you brought up a theme that we've talked about on this show for easily seven years is the fear of the unknown. And you just kind of brought it up. Yeah. You know, that impatience, I don't know if that's always bad if you're asking questions because you're new to it. It sounds like this is your first book. Yeah. You, you, have, you have the ability to ask those questions because you're new to it. So you right. might be able to have people on the other side tolerate it, but you're like, they're Simon Schuster, whoever did your book right. is like, this is how it Name rolls. one other publisher. Name one. Penguin. Damn it. I was I knew that ah, one. Dude, name one other one. Now name one other Very one. well read. This I, one, yeah. I used to read books. <laughs> and then I had kids. Um, but it's, it. it's every time they see me uh, on my computer or crack a book open, it's like I might as well not. I might as well just be uh, sitting there doing nothing mm. to them because they're like, what's up? What's up? Hey, 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 hey. Uh, um, well, hey, so when you have these moments of uh, anxiety and fear, do you have any processes or anything that you specifically do to help cope with that? Yes. And what brings me a lot of joy is when I've shared this with other people and they're going through a stressful time. I have a friend who's an entrepreneur and she didn't sleep for three days. Something was crashing and she was so stressed out. And she's like, I'm trying to use your 555 method while I'm in it which is you zoom out and you think of yourself as the movie director of your own life. And you ask yourself, will this matter in five minutes? How about five hours? How about five days from now? And that also really helps me zoom out and get some perspective on things. I mean, like somebody cuts you off in traffic, you can let that bog you. Or if you're, but if you're still thinking about that five days later, you, there's something wrong. <laughs> um, but if you lose a sale or you don't get a job or whatever else you're funding for your startup, whatever your thing is, um, I work with teams on that a lot saying, how can we be more resilient? How can we get back up fast when we get knocked down? Cause life is going to knock us down in a variety of ways. And so this five, five, five is easy to remember. It's easy to use. 
It's easy to share. People start incorporating in their conversations. Okay, we're going to complain about this for five hours, and then we're never going to talk about it again. Man, I didn't think you'd actually have like a numbered system, like with all kinds of stuff. I just thought you might have like a, you know, count to 10, whatever. <laughs> of course you got a number system. Well, you, you told me you have the, the Wim Hof breathing that'll help. I've sure. done that. Yeah. Um, yep. Just yeah. even, in, even in like a very short, even if it's something like, what's the Louis C.K. joke? Uh, my vacation is when I get my kids in the car seat and then walk, walk around, around the car. Yeah. The car. <laughs> that five seconds <laughs> is a long Five time. seconds is his vacation. And that's what I would do it sometimes when I'm just stressed out. Um, yeah, it's more about just focusing on something that's not what you're stressed about, I think. Focus yeah. on your breathing. Focus on whatever, some, some small task. Yeah, it'll take me out of it, really, whatever mm-hmm. I was thinking about. Because I'm now now I have to focus on this breathing method that I can't remember the rhythm to and have to survive. Oh my god, I'm doing something else wrong. Yeah. Another well, reason to beat myself up. Well, yeah. I take your presence for granted because I'm like, oh I'll just see her. <laughs> you know, soon. <laughs> he'll um, tell me. And he'll Again. he'll remind me. But it's one of those things like uh I you know everybody has anxiety. I wish we had kind of a, a, uh, kind of terror level color system or something to, <laughs> because yeah. actually that's probably bad. Cause that didn't work either, but something where it's like, um, it can tell you kind of how uh, some people have anxiety. That's so crippling. It's so elastic. I'd say like in the, yeah. the anxiety or depression to me or any addiction, it, they all really come to fruition when they impede you from doing what you know, like normal tasks yes. or normal exactly. thought processes. Is that fair to say? Yes. Well, I what I love about 555 is it can also help you in your personal life, not just career stuff. So when my dad died eight years ago, I wish I had this tool because I could go back to my younger self and say, yeah, five days from now, you're still going to be pretty upset and grieving. Oh, so let's do it another five, five, five. How about five weeks, five months, five years from now? Yeah, five years from now, you're still going to miss them, but I promise you, you won't be this sad. So that is another way to allow yourself to not let these monumental things happen, uh, bring you down for long periods of time. Again, zooming out and saying, I'm the movie director. Let me visualize myself five years from now functioning like my mom also recently passed away and I was talking to my godson who's 10. And I said, you know, the irony of life. And I, I tried to explain to him what the circle of life is. And he hadn't heard that concept before. And I said, well, ironically, uh, two friends of mine had twins on the same day my mom died. Hmm. And he said, oh, and I said, can you imagine how crowded the planet would be if nobody died? And you could see his brain starting to process that. And, you know, that was sort of an, it helped me with my grief. Do you think because it minimized it a bit? Um, It didn't minimize it. It's just, again, it goes back to an acceptance of what is. Nobody lives forever and it's not meant to be that way. And we may want them to live forever, but realistically that wouldn't be the right thing either. So uh, it didn't minimize my grief so much as it helped, as you know, you teach a child something you're learning, relearning it yourself. Sometimes I'm sure you guys have experienced that as dad. So oh, yeah. me, mm-hmm. as a godfather, it was, it was just a, a reminder of this is the circle of life. And that, um, you know, the irony is I was 
you know, dealing with my mom's hospice stuff, my friends were out of the country and had all their baby gifts sent to my house. So I had a garage full of, you know, baby stuff, which is preparing for new life at the same time I was dealing with my mom and the hospice. So that's a crazy duality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's about yeah. perspective, you know, when you're explaining it to somebody else. If it were me, I'd sort of remove myself from the scenario as though I'm, you know, an observer of myself uh-huh. and yep. then explaining it. And it kind of helps put, for me, put things in perspective. Yeah, sometimes uh, uh, a way I'll deal with it if I'm if I'm running hot, like I like to call it, um, uh-huh. I will almost say out loud, like, what am I stressed about? And really try to like, break it down like I would if... Yeah. Eric was in the rooms because he used to see me go manic in our office back in the day and be like, you need to chill. And I was like, yeah. And it would, well, I mean, in those times, you know, we both had a lot going on and it was, of, thank yeah. God we were together. We were right. going through the same thing. Cause like, you know, we were each other's, I don't right. even know, guardians, yeah. well, whatever we, you want to call it, but we kept each other in check. Thank God. Right. We compliment yeah. each other. It would, thank God it didn't happen the same exact time because then we would drop <laughs> a bond and, uh, yeah. and be like all emo all the time. I just watched the Batman again, the emo Batman. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I just heard that uh, as relationship advice. You have an agreement with your spouse or partner. We can both go crazy, but just not at the same time. Yeah. Somebody's got to stay sane. Yeah. So um, if you want to go crazy for the next hour, go ahead and then it'll be my turn. Yeah. You know, if your car got stolen or whatever you want to flip out about. Right. Are you done? Good. Cause I got a lot to say. <laughs> One thing I, we used to have in our household and this is my ex-wife, my then wife would uh, kind of bring it up. It was like, you can't, you can go to, we can't go to bed mad, you know, like try to, or if you do tomorrow's a different day, like you're allowed mm-hmm. to kind of get it out, but tomorrow you know, try to shake it off kind of thing. You're yeah, allowed to five, be five, five, it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think all of those techniques are, are hovering around. Yours is more formal and better, but it, they're hovering around like take yourself out of it and try to look at yourself as if yeah. you're on shrooms. Yeah. Getting out there. So It's all about what the story is we're telling ourselves, right? Uh-huh. Ooh. Very nice. You went right birth, death, act one and three. If you're in the middle, act two. Nice. I, you, everything's in a story form for you. It is. Do you find yourself kind of templating a lot of answers or conversations in story mode? Because you you've seem like you've kind of mastered this as a, a natural framework, the way you, you speak, after watching a few videos. Right. Well, it is my specialty and my le- level of expertise, and I love sharing it and giving it to other people because – Unlike sports or uh, performing, you know, you don't have to be born with Lady Gaga's talent. Uh, to be, you, we all can become good storytellers. And one of my favorite examples of this impacting a client was he's an orthopedic surgeon who had me helping him craft his story about his product. Um, and I taught him the four steps of what a good story is. And then he said he was putting his eight-year-old daughter to bed. And she said, Daddy, tell me a story. And he ignored the tell me part and just said, okay, I'm going to read you Goodnight Moon. No, no, don't read me a story. Tell me one. And he said, I had a moment of panic. And then I remembered you taught me how to told us, tell a story. And so I, and that, to tell a really good story, you tell a story that somebody sees themselves in. So I said, oh, once upon a time, there's this little girl. She was about your age. She had the same hair color as you, same eye color, but her name was this. And then he's off and running. 
And so that made me feel great because I made him a hero to his daughter that night. Yeah, you definitely inspired me to do that with my kids since the interview we had the first time around. Because I mm -hmm. used to do that improv a story and yep. make basically multiverse versions of the kids mm -hmm. in the story. And, it and really, they started picking it apart, pointing out plot holes. I made it too Germanic and, uh, <laughs> and dark. Yeah. Just yes. to see if I could get them to yeah. laugh, and that was a bad idea. And then the monster eats them. Right, right. All I the, can't go to sleep all, now. Thanks. All those fairy right. tales are horrible when you look at the real version. Well, there, oh, are, yeah. there are German rooted, I think. Zaman, yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where um, it's very valuable, though, if you can kind of – I don't know how you would do this. Like if you were – I want to get back into kind of boxing a little bit to kind of get in shape, but my motor memory is it, it's there, but it's not all there. And to get mm. back into it, i got to ease into it, right? And right. I feel like I'd have to figure out 10 minutes a day to kind of train my brain to think in story mode when I have to have a formal answer for a lot of things. Is that mm. fair to say? Is that some, is there exercises you did mm. to get in that oh, mindset? Yes. It's uh, the more you practice anything, the better you right. get at it, the easier it becomes. So if you just start, I teach people three kinds of stories to tell your own story of origin. How'd you get into being a podcast host or a lawyer or architect or whatever it is you do. And then um, the second story is your company story. How'd you come up with the name for your podcast or the name? What does sweat equity mean to you? Uh, is it just simply working hard for no money or is it, is there something else in it uh, uh, that you relate to from your sports background? You know, I, we have a company story that what are the values of this company? And then the third one is turning a case study into a case story where you paint a picture that people see themselves on. They see themselves wanting to go on the journey with you as their Sherpa. So I tell people, don't get overwhelmed with, oh, my God, I have to have so many different stories. Just say, this week, I'm working on my story of origin, how I got into what I'm doing. I'm going to practice it with my friends and coworkers and maybe even a couple of strangers and see, see how it lands. And I use that lens of, is it clear, is it concise, and is it compelling? As a checklist that I ask people after I've told a story, was it clear or did I confuse you? Was it concise enough for you to remember it and repeat it? And did it make you feel anything? Um, yeah, I feel like I know you a little bit better knowing that that's how you got into this. Uh, so, and then you do the same thing for the company story and the case story. And once you've got those, you know, that's one a week, you know, you're just focusing on one kind of story every week. And by the end of that month, you're like, I feel like I'm a little bit a better storyteller. I want to practice the story at least three times during the week. And it's not overwhelming. And it, man, if you keep doing that, like anything, um, you'll go from 10 push-ups to 20, to on and on and on. So, Love it. Yeah. yeah there, uh, Love it. I, I thought you had, I, I think, I thought No, you had no. I, was, <laughs> I mean, I think. You um, had a dad burp instead. Oh, no. No. I was just. <laughs> Um, I can see trying to do this and then just being like, are you for real trying to tell the story to the Walmart cashier again or whatever? Mm -hmm. and really not getting a lot of practice in. Well, I, as, as I was thinking about it, you know, I guess I was thinking about it in a way you just have to pre like prepare your, like someone who's very introverted is trying to work on that, not be so, um, mm -hmm. so introverted when people are talking to them, they might yep. do practice stuff in the mirror. They might do that kind of thing. I, what about journaling 
you know, just doing a kind of journaling kind of, um, yes, to, to get that framework. Is that big? Is that, are you big on yeah. that? I'm big on anything that helps you celebrate becoming what I call a progressionist. Not a perfectionist. Oh yeah. Yeah. Progressionist. See? Right. So if you journal today, it was just a little bit better. Who did prep, Don? Who did that prep? Ooh. Oh, I <laughs> sorry. We don't do like a lot today of prep. I spent so an extra I'm... minute in the cold. <laughs> today I spent an extra minute in the cold ice bath than longer than I did last week. And so you journal that, your brain goes, "Ooh, endorphins um, lighting up like a video game." Right? Because we are wired to celebrate progress. And if we journal it, and we're focusing on a skill like storytelling or any other skill, then your brain goes, okay, keep going. We, we like this celebration of progress. We don't have to, you know, hit the top of Mount Everest and be black belt in it on the first day, but we're celebrating because whatever we focus on, we get more of. So if we focus on celebrating our progress, then of course we're going to be incentivized to keep practicing. So you mentioned ice baths. Did we talk about that last time? I don't recall. No, but I know that's in your bio, and he referenced it earlier. <laughs> oh, okay, so are you? Is that something? You, I'm curious about routines. Uh, you know. Yes. What time you're waking up? Are you working out every day? What do you What do you got going on? Well, I take cold showers every morning. Good. And, Great start. <laughs> in fact, the opening to my talk is I start. I'm standing in a cold shower, shivering. It's my third cold shower of the day. And then I say, how in the world did I find myself taking cold showers? And well, I did some research. And it turns out it burns fat, fights depression, and reduces inflammation. It had me, it burns fat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yep. In fact, I thought, well, maybe I don't even have to work out anymore. I'll just take cold showers. But that didn't really work. Um, so that whole premise of getting yourself in a discomfort mode and from a stoic philosophy of how it builds up your tolerance for, I don't have to be perfectly comfortable every single second of my life. I'm purposely putting myself in an uncomfortable situation, not only for the three things I just rattled off that it does, but also for the mental, I can tolerate this. So when my plane gets canceled or whatever else might happen in my life, my dad or mom dies, I'm not so devastated because I've never been uncomfortable before. I've built up a tolerance for if I lost everything, you know, those fear-based future thoughts that some people have, myself included, I'd still be okay. You know, the thing that's really helped me lately is this analogy of when a bird is on a branch, it never for a second confuses the branch with its own security because the bird has wings and it can fly away at any moment. And so I love that metaphor for all of us. So it's like, if you decide to take a job, like I might land here for a year or five years, I'm in charge of deciding how long I land on this branch or this project or whatever it is we're doing that we don't suddenly give all our power away to the job, the funding, the relationship that we're in. But I'm the bird, I've got the wings. And that, for me, has really helped me lately. That's a great metaphor. What bird did you think of? Mm, I didn't think of a bird. You didn't visualize one? I was looking at the branch in my mind. <laughs> Interesting. I went uh, oh. finch, and then I changed it to a crow. Oh, I okay, I was, I was wondering. <laughs> I know. I know you love birds. Uh, 
Bird pe- people who have birds indoors, I think they're disgusting. Just by the way, I just wanted to throw it out. You don't like a talking parrot? That's fun. Oh, you you like uh, pet dander everywhere that and then just like bah, 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 bah. I don't know. Is that a thing they do? Dander? They have feathers. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They have. It's. I work for an air purifier co- company, and I had to go to oh, a God. pet trade show. Uh, yeah, ball in. And I was like the only normal person at this trade show. It was all weird snake pet guys people. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, took took care. Of, Rabbit Air took care of pet dander from birds because they yeah. have it too. Okay. I learned something today. Birds don't fucking like us. Just by the way, they don't like us. They're dinosaurs. They hate us. Crows are the coolest because they they talk and they can trick people. And super smart. They use tools. Yep. They communicate with each other. They have funerals. I saw some vultures on a roof, and I was completely freaked out by how big they are and how they hop. (laughs) Yeah. Well, plus, uh, plus the crow movie is 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 bad. Good. Good. Bad. I haven't watched it since it came out. R.I.P. Brandon Lee. But it's one of those things. I think um, we'd be remiss if we didn't get to kind of the main storytelling topic. We we have a lot of people that talk to us about lead gen and marketing funnels. And I go, well, it doesn't really just stop with lead gen, right? We're going to take this lead gen model of a big funnel, marketing and sales Mm -hmm. funnel, which are really two funnels if you really look at it. Um, And then – we need to apply it on talent. And I know you're big. How do you use storytelling to recruit that kind of top talent? Because that would be the kind of the campaign message, the branded yes. message of the company. I, that's how yeah. I would define it. Um, I don't well, know how you would um, call it. I was hired to speak at a Coca-Cola summit for the CMOs of all of their biggest clients. They call them quick service restaurants, by the way. QSR is mm-hmm. not fast food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's the ones uh, that you can sit down in, right? That, that's the big yeah, thing. Dom- so Domino's Pizza was one. Yeah. And I talked to the marketing director and I said, what's your biggest marketing challenge? And he said, recruiting top talent, tech people. And I was so surprised because my brain is always oriented to marketing is about consumer uh, focus. And I said, oh, interesting. He said, yeah, we used to say, you know, we're a... Uh, a pizza company who has this really cool app that lets you know who put the pizza in the oven and who's delivering it with different names and tracking all that. Uh, would you like to come work here on that project? But now we say uh, we're an e-commerce company that happens to sell pizza. Hmm. And I said, oh, that Jeez. sounds like Amazon on purpose, right? Yeah. As for a tech person who's considering which kind of career you're going to go into. So how you tell that initial story, your hook of the culture, um, has a big factor. And then recently uh, Berkshire Hathaway, the real estate division, home services asked me to speak to their team on how do we recruit the top 5% from our competitors to come work here? The people who are managing our office are really good at selling homes, but they don't have a lot of training on how to get the top producers to come over here and bring their book of business. And I said, well, we go back to the basics. What made you become a real estate agent, your own story of origin. What kind of leader are you? Do you have a story to tell about, do you micromanage people or do you leave them alone, right? Uh, And then what is the company's culture? You need to tell that story. And then finally, you need a story of someone who did leave the competitors and has come here and how much better their life is, not only revenue-wise, but personal-wise. Maybe they have more work-life balance. Maybe they are using some new tools or whatever it is. So again, it's three stories through the lens of 
the person you're targeting to come work there sees himself in that story and goes, God, that sounds like me. That's that I'd like to have more work-life balance and more money. <laughs> Which is marketing 101 for campaigns, right? Mm-hmm. Any 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 retail you see, they're trying to put a version of you that's a yes. you know the dove uh, uh, soap kind of remember the dove soap where they had just all different kinds of women, women uh, different yes. shapes, yep. sizes, ethnicities, because they were like, we're going to cover the whole market share basically of, of, of well, women. It, you know. It's disruptive because every other beauty brand. So brand is targeting, a, you know, the classic model. And so if you're the brand that's going, we see you, we hear you, we appreciate you. We celebrate you even. Well, then you've got that emotional tie. And that's what really storytelling is so great at is giving the emotional connection that causes people to change brands, change jobs, hire you. Um, there's some emotional reason that people make a decision to change their behavior or buy. And when you tell a story that you're tugging at heartstrings, and then it's really about storytelling, listening, and empathy. If you learn to master those three soft skills, you'll have the magical emotional connection. And whether it's, you know, that's why really good marketers will listen to current clients. So in my particular case, I work with sales teams in tech and healthcare. And so I've listened to them say, oh, we are so tired of coming in second place when we pitch against competitors. Guess what's on my landing page about hiring me as a speaker or the online course? Tired of coming in second place? So they go, oh my God, are you in my head? So it's that's an example of using storytelling and, and telling, well, listening listened. to what you listened to the problem. You and it, yep. it happens multiple times over in different iterations, but the same problem. You know, they're mm-hmm. losing the pitch. Yeah. And so you're playing to that. And yeah, I mean, we're we're working on case stories, not case studies, landing pages right. as well. So yeah. this is a good reminder. This might be one of the only episodes I listened to back. <laughs> right. Uh, I actually was like, oh, do I have a notebook? I need to take notes. And on the other side, on the flip side of that, you know, a lot of um, resume uh, like experts will tell you, here's your resume. Here's how we can technically make it professional. But when you're right. in the interview, um, uh, make a story out of it. And, yes. have, and it needs, just like any story, it needs, it needs a, you know, I was I was struck with this problem. Yep. Here's an intro. I'm struck with this problem. Here's how I solved it. It's usually how they kind of yep. position it. Is that how how do you use storytelling to get a job? Well, you know the kinds of questions you're going to get asked are, you know, tell me a story about a challenge you had. Bring your resume to life. All those kinds of questions. And so we know that's going to be asked. It's imperative that we prepare and not be a deer in headlights when someone asks you that question. Because you can tell if you thought about it or never thought about it. Like, you know, what would you say to your 13-year-old self? You could tell I had never heard that question before. Um, So I tell people it's the same four steps. You need exposition. You need to describe a problem and then your solution. And then more importantly, what happens after that solution? So let me give you an example. When I was interviewing for a job, I said, you know, uh, 10 years ago, Jaguar, reached out to me when I was selling advertising for an upscale fashion magazine and said, um, our biggest challenge is we want people to have an emotional connection to the car and think of it as moving sculpture. 
but we don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, we came up with an event idea where we would target 10 couples that had cars whose leases were expiring in six months that were in the competitive set. They get picked up in a Jaguar, taken to the magazine's Golden Globe party in the car, and then from there to a private room at a dinner where the chef would be there, as well as somebody from the Museum of Art talking about art. And so you'd have a Jaguar representative and a Museum of Art representative having a dinner conversation with people. Um, and they, so Jaguar literally became part of the conversation. And in between courses, there was another Jaguar outside that people could take a test drive around the block. And that was resulted in 10 ad pages, $500,000 worth of revenue, and Jaguar sold three cars that night. So instead of just saying, oh, I'm someone who's creative, I show it in the story. That's and I not only generated revenue for me, but I generated revenue for the advertiser. That's some amazing psyops too, in a, in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> that's because uh, they're, you get you kind of got their pleasure pleasure centers with the car with the event the car yep. takes you to all the events you have sculpture art around you the whole time but it's never it probably never really they had to ask with intent i'm sure to test drive whatever car was out there and all that stuff uh-huh. yeah interesting um and then before we let you go you know how do you use storytelling to be more resilient i'm guessing the better way to ask that is maybe in a professional kind of way in a career mode. But right. if, if, if you have kind of non uh, work resiliency, well, for me, it's about how fast you get back up after you get knocked down. So the number one way is what story am I telling myself? Am I telling myself I am a loser? I'm an idiot. Uh, I, I should get fired for this. No one, no one, I'm not enough. Or are you saying, to yourself, everybody makes mistakes. I'm human. I don't have to be perfect to be loved or accepted. And what did I learn from this? And how fast can I shake this off? I have a quick story. When I heard Bonnie St. John speak at the TEDx event uh, right before me, she'd lost the lower half of her left leg in a, uh, as a child, but she went on to compete in the Paralympics. So she's standing on stage with a skirt showing her prosthetic leg and her Paralympic medals around her neck. And she said, in the downhill skiing, they would take the average of your two times. In the first mountain, she was the fastest. She was in first place. Then the second mountain was much icier, and everybody was falling, and she also fell. And then when they combined the two times, they said, oh, you came in second place. While you were the fastest going down the first mountain, you were not the fastest one coming, getting back up after you fell. So that time you took to get back up after you fell is what caused you to come in second place. And so it's a great story about how fast do we get back up? We're all going to fall down. And that really is the secret to how fast can we let go of the no's and the negatives. And that's how you, it all goes back to what story am I telling myself and other people? Are you playing the victim? You can't believe what that client said to me, how stupid they are to not buy from me, whatever it is, or you know what? On to the next. I'm letting it go. Well, John, uh, the pitch whisperer, Mm-hmm. Um, we appreciate you coming back on. We'll have to have you on, you know, uh, maybe uh, another six months, I guess. Jeez, I feel like it just happened. It just, it just happened. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a time that works for you. And, uh, you know, if anybody's out there that wants to hire him, it's johnlivesay.com. 
and uh, turn the mundane stories into cocaine stories. I don't know. I was trying to come up with a, uh, a slogan. <laughs> you can <laughs> use that if you want. John. Yeah. You can use oh, that. Oh, thanks. Look, uh, I just take a little big on that every time it's used. No big deal. But, a little. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I liked it, but, you know, we're, we're not that kind of Florida here. That's all. That's Miami style. But thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, so much wisdom. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you.